0: Emerald Podcast Series, research that makes a difference.
1: Welcome to the Emerald Podcast Series. I'm pleased to be joined today by four great guests. Marion Mahat, Senior Research Fellow at the University of Melbourne, Australia. Joanne Blanning, Senior Lecturer in Digital Transformation at Monash University, Australia. Caroline Carson, Associate Professor in Teacher Education and Learning Leadership at the University of Hong Kong, and Eliza J. dosles Reyes, Postdoctoral Fellow at the National University of Singapore. Together, Mary, and Joe, Caroline and Jay are the editors of a new book, Academic Resilience, Personal Stories and Lessons Learned from the COVID-19 Experience, published in the Surviving and Thriving in Academia series. Of which Marion is the series editor. The book relays perspectives across disciplines, career stages and global context on how to develop resilience in academia based on the contributor's reflections of working throughout the cor- coronavirus pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic undoubtedly tested the resilience of academics in higher education. Many universities were severely affected by reduced student enrollment with widespread job losses reported across universities. For many academics, the impact of the pandemic has been worrying, financially crippling and overwhelming. The virus has also exposed academic inequalities and impacted heavily on vulnerable people. The individual and collective heroic spirit of many academics has been nothing short of extraordinary. Overcoming the initial hurdles of COVID-19 takes a certain kind of energy. The resilience need to remain engaged despite the continuing changes and uncertainties is quite another challenge. It is one that demands sustained resilience. Hi everyone I'm really pleased that you've joined me today I'm just going to jump straight in here so Jay this is for you so can you start by introducing us to your conceptualization of resilience particularly an individual academic's resilience in the face of the pandemic and the other challenges that are faced by higher education today
2: I'm going to quickly walk you through how the focus on academics, particularly those in higher education, became our route in thinking about resilience and then describe what we think of it as a concept. In the book, we argue that the idea of resilience in education, specifically higher education, has almost always been looked at through the perspective of students or learners. On the one hand, organizations such as the PISA, OECD, and UNESCO, often look at um, resilience as a student quality. On the other hand, if you look at scholarship written about resilience in higher education during the five major pandemics of the 21st century, namely SARS, H1N1, MERS, Ebola, and COVID, it is obvious that resilience among higher education academics is rarely talked about in the earlier four major pandemics. It is only when COVID-19 happened that a considerable amount of work started to engage with it. So going back to your question on what resilience is from the vantage point of an academic, we offer in our edited book the view that it is, and we quote, and I quote, the dynamic process and interaction between an academic and their ever-changing environment that uses available internal and external resources to produce positive outcomes in response to different contextual and developmental challenges. So while we acknowledge that resilience has been conceptualized previously as related to personality, for example, those characteristics of individuals that help overcome adversity, And at the same time, also related to outcomes, for example, approaches or strategies that individuals develop to turn the tide of adversity, like the pandemic. Um, And of course, we offer this in our book with an acknowledgement that it is also influenced by academics' environments, such as the availability and accessibility of resources to support them to bounce back.
1: Thank you, Jay. That's a really good introduction there to the concept of resilience. Appreciate that. My next question that I have, I want to direct that to you, Caroline, if that's OK. So the pandemic have exacerbated academic inequalities has been highlighted alongside broader social inequalities. So what have the stories of resilience that have been shared in this book shown you about how academics have resolved themselves against these increasing pressures?
3: Kiona, that's such a great question because it's really getting to the heart of what we're talking about in the book, what our authors are talking about in the book. And one of the academics we spoke with during this project said, and I'm going to probably misquote her a little bit, but she said, "The resilience is something you don't just have or get; it's something that you build. It's like a muscle. We have to keep working on it to build it over time." And she actually said that, from her perspective, that's the elephant in the room. Many, many early career researchers, and she's an early career researcher see the road that lies ahead, they see the trailblazers, they see the success that uh, more senior academics have achieved, but there's no real induction to the life of an academic. And I think once once the pandemic hit, what we saw was that there'd been no systematic processes in place to support individuals to build and exercise their resilience, to develop and and, um, exercise that muscle. To the degree that we needed Um, and this has been clear over the last couple of years and um, is something that comes through quite strongly in the different stories in the book Um, our readers will see that there are stories from academics at different career stages and from all around the world and what we see coming through these chapters is as pressures evolved these social contextual pressures evolved during the pandemic their responses to them and the level of their resilience did as well. So I guess as an overall comment, you know, people that have demonstrated resilience have they've had to use intellectual flexibility in bucket loads, but they've also had to be quite pragmatic about their research in order to keep the research wheel turning. And I guess one of the other key themes that's woven itself through the chapters in the book is Just the degree to which um, universities' provision of effective support to their academic staff has varied quite a lot from institution to institution. And I guess that's one of the things that really stands out most clearly from our conversations with academics and from the chapters in in the book is the variability of individual experiences. There's no one size fits all. Everybody approached it in a different way and demonstrated or achieved and demonstrated their resilience in completely different ways. And so the pandemic had differing implications for their work as they went about performing what Ann Mastin said like two decades ago, um, performing their ordinary magic, which, which we do in our day-to-day lives as academics at universities. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm mindful of at the moment, whilst many countries, as we were just saying earlier on, many countries have decided that COVID is endemic and we're going to just live with it, We see videos on social media coming out, for example, from Shanghai, which shows just how profound the impact of the pandemic continues to be for many people, many academics in different parts of the world. And and I guess one of the things that we've seen coming through loud and clear from um, the authors in this book is how the, there's been a lot of thinking about the connection between people's academic work and their broader life purpose what they actually want to achieve in their lives what their priorities are and this has really led to quite a significant recalibration really a re a rejigging of priorities for for lots of people thanks
1: for your answer there. i really appreciate you know you highlighted that you know it's been a different experience for everyone depending where they are in in their academic lives it's a really good point that so my next one actually is, is going to be for you joe so what do you think needs to change at an institutional or even at a sector level to better support academics both you know in times of you know a global pandemic which is you know in our lifetimes has been unprecedented but also more more generally
0: yeah, it's a really good question. And I think a, um, a lot of what I want to say in response to that question is going to overlap with what Caroline's mentioned as being significant to the individual um, and the the themes that came through in the book um, and the different chapters. And we heard quite a few different stories in, in the interviews that we undertook as part of the research that we carried out and also in the stories that we heard through other people's research in their chapters as well. And it it gave us some ideas of how institutions and sectors could prepare for challenges. And these are the unknown, right? So we it's hard to prepare for the unknown as we can always prepare for things in hindsight, but the the future is, is trickier. So I think one of the, one example of, how one institution's going about it is uh, one chapter in the book is from some academics at a Brazilian university where their academics went out into the community at the beginning of the pandemic and they sought to blend the resources of their institution with the resources of the local government. And they brought people into higher education during the pandemic. So they they sought out and they found education opportunities for people, but they also gave back and they reached out and they provided business support and business expertise to small businesses in their area and it all started with the business and economics faculty but it grew and it grew because the leaders and the institutional leaders could see that there was a great potential for ongoing growth and connections and they were actually open to these new models of practice and now uh, the academics at that Brazilian Youth University are seeing that their model is being taken on in other faculties, that the institutional leaders are supporting them to do things differently. And we want to encourage institutional leaders to see adversity as something to grow through rather than something to go through and struggle to maintain some kind of normality that we're just going to revert back to afterwards. But in that example, the um, understanding that things can change and we can learn from and through challenge, I think is something that we want institutional and sector leaders to really uh, focus on and engage. And as as Caroline mentioned, we've learned through putting this book together that academic resilience is learned and it must be practiced. Continually practiced. And so we hope that leaders at the highest levels will continue to support academics even after the global pandemic is past. Let's hope it is the one and only event in our lifetimes, but who knows? In bringing together all of the research that we explored through the chapters, when we were putting our final chapter together in the book, there were kind of three areas that came through as strong concepts and ideas that we think institutions could take away and use for the future. That idea of future-proofing I think is really difficult because I don't think you can future-proof but I think you can be future aware and one of the first things that we think institutions can do is to value meaningful relationships as Caroline mentioned a lot of the people who demonstrated strong academic resiliences had really excellent relationships with staff members at all levels and in all different roles and they appeared to have stronger and more resilient staff bodies overall and institutions that provided ways to do that appeared to have an overall more resilient staff and resilient programs as well. And as, also, as Caroline mentioned, the individuals in the studies in the book noted that they were rethinking their personal priorities. And this has implications for institutional leaders too. That means that they need to reflect on these shifting priorities in their staff and how that might affect their plans as well. And I think we've probably all heard of or read the studies that say reduced working hours actually sees the same or perhaps even more work output that we see um, Scandinavian countries going to four-day work weeks and yet the same work output or increased work output. But we're not seeing any of those kind of rebalancing of work commitments or admin requirements or anything for academics. And I think that's something that institutions could be looking at in a post-pandemic world. Another uh, related area is that academics are telling us they're more likely now to question the significance or importance of a research study before they begin the research, not just because it's an interesting study, but actually what is the importance of it. And I think this is where institutions might need to focus next, ensuring that their scope in academics workload to balance a healthy life with a purposeful yet streamlined career. And finally, academics told us they want to have impact. But of course, that's not new. We know many academics do research to bring light to complex or misunderstood or difficult situations. And we often want to raise awareness or make a difference in the world. That's why we love research. That's why we do research. But a number of people in the book and people in our own research told us that the pandemic lockdowns gave them time to reflect on their own impact and that they're feeling much more strategic about what they want to publish and how quickly they want to share their emerging knowledge in different formats and I think for institutional leaders this means considering how they measure success how they measure impact and of course what we count as academic contributions how are we closing the loop on um creating research opportunities, gathering data, making sense of data, and bringing that data back to the people involved in the research. And I think in a post-pandemic world, academia needs to be increasingly relevant and timely. As one participant said to us, it's about telling people's stories, because if we don't tell the stories, people will forget. Referring, I think, to the idea that there is such a short attention span in the world. And I think Institutions need to facilitate this shift in expectations that we need feedback um, in different ways um, at different levels to a huge range um, of people and audiences. So I think there's a, there's a few things there for the institutions to think about. They may not be massively life changing, but I think little tweaks in what we do and how we think about academics could really uh, help academic institutional resilience and academic resilience at a personal level too
1: thank you joe that's that was a really great answer you raised some really really good points and you know appreciate you saying you know we we can't future proof, but we can be more future aware i think that's what a lot of places are looking at right now hopefully this wouldn't situation won't happen again but we just don't know do we no really appreciate that great answer thank you so much And you also alluded to, you know, the final chapter of the book. So this leads me on to my my next question for Marion. So in the final chapter, you've put forward an academic resilience model. So can you just explain the main elements of this model, please?
4: So the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on academic resilience can be thought of as two-pronged. The first is related to uh, what Jay mentioned earlier about how COVID-19 has shifted academic resilience conceptually. And the second is related to more material and practical experiences of academics who have experienced adversity and their ways of overcoming it, which Joe mentioned just prior to this. So in thinking about these two points, we developed a model that could describe this more coherently. The academic resilience model focuses on protective strength-based factors that are associated with doing well during adversity. Through a review of the literature on resilience in the last 20 years, we identified 10 strength-based factors, including recalibration, encouragement, structure, identity, loyalty, instrumentality, exchange, network, transformation, and knowledge. I don't want, I'm not going to go into all of them right now, but you can read the book and I'll find out what each of those factors mean. Additionally, in a project funded by Universitas 21 Researcher Resilience Fund, we gathered data from 214 academic staff across different career stages from Australia, Hong Kong, Mexico, Singapore, South Africa, Sweden, United Kingdom and United States. Through this project, we also identified an additional three factors, which is prior experiences of academics, their career stage and also the culture of the organization and the country that they are in, which are all stuff that we've already mentioned before by Caroline, by Jay and by, um, by Joe. So, the model emphasizes a strength-based perspective and acknowledging that academic resilience is not only an individual quality, but also an organizational quality. Resilience is achieved in connection with fellow academics in an enabling environment, and that's very important here, and in an ongoing continuous fashion. But it will vary greatly between individual academics and institutions. The model also implicitly sets thresholds for benchmarking. And should guide the purposeful development of professional learning opportunities to support academic resilience. Look Fiona, academics around the world have shown great strength and energy to overcome the adversities of COVID-19, but a resilient academic should sustain engagement with the continuing changes and uncertainties, uncertainties during these ongoing challenging times. Surviving and thriving in the post-pandemic world will require authentic and transformational leadership and such a model can help academics and institutions navigate the continued challenges in academia.
1: Thank you, Marion. I am fully aware of how hard academics work and have worked during the, the past couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, my hat goes off to each and every academic around the world. So, you know, my final question i'd just like a little bit of input from from all of you if that's okay you know if you just had one piece of advice for an academic who you know wants to build their resilience so what what would you say to them marian i'm going to start with you if that's okay
4: if there was one piece of advice i could give to an academic building their resilience it would be to focus on the things that you can do and change rather than the things that you cannot When you focus on what you can control, you're far more likely to experience success even during times of adversity. By putting your effort on what you can impact, you can make a difference no matter how small.
3: Mm, That's a a good question too. I totally agree with Marion, but I guess I would add stay connected. And staying connected is an active process. It means actually reaching out to people, whether it's personal people or your professional networks. I really feel like this hasn't been the time to hesitate because... You know at at the risk of sounding cliched because you've heard this said so many times we've all been in it together and in my experience people have really welcomed opportunities to connect so whether it's just been to have that virtual coffee with a friend or to reach out to somebody and ask them to introduce you to somebody that you're keen on networking with or whose work you admire i think that idea of staying connected has been really important that's probably what i would suggest.
0: I agree obviously with Marion and Caroline. I think those are really important strategies. I would say that what academic resilience looks like for you as an individual is as diverse as we are as humans. So it looks different to absolutely everyone. But I would encourage people to reflect on what works for you or what worked for you during the um, the height of the pandemic and seek to embed that practice whatever it might be into your new normal um, and for some of us we're still going through lockdowns and some of us are a little bit more free but really focus on identifying what helped you with your resilience building it might have been uh, daily walks or lunchtime zoom chats with your colleagues or closing your home office door each morning and sitting down to work at the same time but there are so many strategies we came across but um, I encourage you to find the one or the ones that worked for you and consciously build a habit from there so that if we do face another challenge on this scale in the future or even small scale challenges in your day-to-day, you will have some strategies ready to go in place to help you manifest that resilience.
1: Thank you, Joe Jay, last but not least?
2: I'm going to piggyback on Caroline's advice about staying connected, but I would add some few qualifiers. And this is really close to my heart because as an early academic who finished his PhD and started a postdoc during the peak of the pandemic, I realized that staying connected with the right people who will inspire and motivate you to be productive in a joyful and healthy way matters. This is something that I share in chapter one of the book, which the four of us actually um, wrote together. Um, Without Marianne, Caroline, and Joe around, I don't think I would have been as productive as I've been um, during the pandemic if I were with a different crowd. So my advice would be choose your crowd wisely and be intentional or purposeful in learning from them.
1: That's lovely, Jay. Thank you. All of you, thank you so much for your contributions. It's a really important and timely book. And I suggest to our listeners to definitely go and get themselves a copy. Again, so thank you for joining me today. I'm aware we're sort of all around the world, so I appreciate you taking the time um, with this fun with time
0: zones. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Fiona. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Fiona. Thank you, Fiona. (laughs) Thank you for having us.
1: There is a link to the Resilient website in the transcript and the book as well. I'd like to thank my guests for joining me today and to you, the listener, and to Alex at This Is Distorted Studios for editing this episode.